0: Welcome to the Winning Edge Investments Podcast. Winning Edge Investments provides industry leading horse racing and sports betting tips, ratings, and education, enabling you to invest intelligently and treat your betting like a business. Go to www.winningedgeinvestments.com to learn more about how you can start to supercharge your betting bank immediately treat your betting like a business and invest intelligently with Winning Edge Investments.
1: Today on the Winning Edge podcast we're joined by Brisbane trainer Rob Heathcote. G'day Rob, how are you mate?
2: Yeah good thanks Brad, nice to join you. That's
1: good. We always like to hear about the backstory of how people got into racing, um, so tell us how, how you got into the game, what's your journey been?
2: Mine's a little unusual from uh, what I think most people join racing. I was a uh, a European tool manager way back in the, the 80s through through the mid-90s um, working in Europe, living in Europe. Uh, I came back here to Australia in 94 and I basically managed my brother's horses for a while. Um, that was the last two years, 95, 96, no, sorry, 96 and 97. He had horses all up the eastern seaboard of Australia. and. <clears throat> My wife actually suggested to me one day, "Why don't you have a go at training?" I said, "What the hell do I know about horses? Nothing." And I'm a voracious reader, so I got as many books as I could on on training, and said to my brother one day, "Give me a go at this." Um, so you know, six months after I was his racing manager, I had a crack at training, and you know, like a duck to water, I had instant success. And second horse I ever saddled up won a on A hundred thousand dollar race, and when I worked out my percentage, I said, "Bloody hell, how long has this been going on?" <laughs> <laughs> Little game. did I realise that <clears throat> it would then be a lifetime of getting up at three o'clock every morning. But I've been an early riser most of my life, so it's yes, yeah. it's, it's habit nowadays.
1: Is there one book which stood out the most as being the most helpful for your career, or?
2: Oh, not really. It was, it was. You know, I read I read Tommy Smith's book, and you know, even the Waterhouse book, and some of the American trainers, and just everything i could read trying to get a handle on racing and i've got no doubt in those early days i may may well have been the butt of a few jokes you know just who's look at this guy he runs around with a clipboard and he's always got his head in the book and my brother had half a dozen horses at the time so i said what the hell it's you know i've a lot of mistakes but i don't deny that even though the second horse I saddled up did win. And my first season, I still finished six in the, in the Queensland Premiership. Um, made a lot of mistakes, asked a lot of questions, uh, but tried not to make those mistakes again. And, and maybe coming a little out of left field wasn't a bad thing, not having worked for a trainer, not having you know, carried on the, the, old, the old training methods. I was new, I was willing to try things. And if they worked, great. If they didn't, I didn't do it again.
1: So how many years is that now you've been training for?
2: Uh, that was 97, my first runner. i never forget the day. It was the 27th of February, 1997. It was All-Stakes Day, and uh, St. Lee won the All that year. What a good horse he was. And my filly was a celestial dancer filly called Kaminka, and she won a cutest two-year-old race at and Hell of a day that one was. Yes.
1: Good start, and you've had a lot of great horses along the way. Obviously, uh, buffering is probably the star of the show.
2: I've been lucky because initially I was a private trainer for my brother for the first three years of my career, just training for him. So only answerable to one owner, uh, it was just like a, I was a private trainer, just a family business, and I realised that you know for to go forward and even make the operation viable um I had to go commercial and with the permission of my brother in fact Rob Choba was my first ever outside owner after my brother and Rob's still with me now and has enjoyed success with many good horses over the years but I've been fortunate I've always tended to had have a pretty good horse in my stable um those early days even the Kildare kid he, he was probably one of my better horses early on won 13 races but it wasn't until you know, in the early 2000s, of course, like Warum came along, or certainly 2010. Who could forget that memorable win in the uh, yeah, the Oakley Place, where he wasn't even won. in the screen at the 200-meter <laughs> yep. mark, and here yep. comes warham So, yep. yeah, I'm Warum, and uh, and I've had, you know, Souls and Itzen. He won a couple of Turax. Fire up Fifi. She uh, she was a group performer. Um, you know and obviously buffering I mean buffering's the standout you know from 2010 right through to 2017 you know, I think he won 21 races he raced in an Australasian record 35 group ones he won seven of them placed in many others and won 7.2 million so he certainly took us on a ride now I'm fortunate enough to you know I've had um you know Rothfire come along admittedly Things all went south this time a year ago, but he ran super last week, so maybe he's back.
1: Yeah, sure. Is there any similarities between Rothfire and Buffering, or?
2: Oh, aside from the the obvious, their motor, <laughs> they have they both got bloody good motors. Um, their demeanour, and and I think you know it's a question I often get asked. You know, what what's the stand out with a good horse, and I generally find that most good horses have that wonderful demeanor about them. They have a presence about them that makes you want to look at them when you first see them. They walk into a yard and it's just that air of confidence about them. They're good horses and group one horses, that's what they are. And you know, hopefully we can get Rothfire to stand up and, and, and he can go on and win another group one.
1: So he's a horse we want to focus on. He was first up for a year after uh, that injury in the shorts on Saturday and ran fourth, obviously very happy with the run.
2: I was very happy post-race, but leading into the race, I was very nervous and apprehensive, yeah, yeah. obviously, even if the rains hadn't come because he hadn't run for a year. Uh, but when the rain came and my phone was going beep, 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 you know, good four, soft five, soft six, yeah. soft six. Every time the track got downgraded, I thought, oh, no, you know, he's a horse that's coming off a very serious leg injury and here we are potentially going to be running him on a heavy track first up and against the best sprinters in the world and the best wet trackers in the world to boot. So I was certainly very apprehensive, but gee, was brave. He was full of courage to get beat. I mean, he's got beat 3.3 3 lengths or something, but I'm not overly worried about that. He got tired the last 100 metres. Uh, that was understandable, particularly as Timmy brought him out away from the go zone. I think anywhere three time. off the fence on that day was quicksand. Yeah. And um, he's going to take a lot of benefit out of it. Since then, he's, he's come through the race well. Melanie rides him down a ramwick and she said he towed her around the track on Monday and Tuesday and we swam in this morning, but horses well.
1: So tell us about the injury he suffered in the Golden Rose. It was obviously a pretty serious injury. Did you ever think he might not race again?
2: It doesn't get much more serious. Normally these type of injuries, Brad, can be fatal. He had a fractured sesamoid, <clears throat> fractured in two places. In fact, um, two sizable chips were removed from his sesamoid. Happened at the 200 metre mark. I think he had the golden rose at his mercy. He was, what, two or three lengths in front when that happened. But it was a, was an insane tempo of that race that year. And his jockey made a mistake, I believe, and went too fast. But uh, look, the injury happened. and. When I saw the x-rays, I did initially feel that would be curtains for the horse and, but how, how brave and courageous was the horse? I mean, he's fractured a sesamoid 200 meters out and still ran fourth in the group one. Yeah. So it was a bit of an effort from the horse. So I yeah.
1: yeah, couldn't believe it. I looked back and saw how far he got beaten in that race. And it was only three and a half lengths. And I was like,
2: <laughs> brave run. I, knew, I knew as soon as I saw him Jag left, I knew something serious must have happened. And I was, I went to bed that night with a. You know not feeling real bright because I, I knew the following morning the news wouldn't be good and then we had the x-rays done and it revealed the extent of the injury but look it's, uh, it's it was 12 months ago and then we embarked on a, a pretty ambitious rehabilitation plan and and it so fast worked i mean he had five months we we, we sent him johnny thompson recommended emeryn park shannon betts and her team who already do a lot of work for my runners and um excellent facilities there and a lot of experience and expertise and coupled with that the vet who actually did the initial surgery visits Emran Park once a week. So they could have a you know, keep a close eye on him for five months and we got we got his rehab on track and, and then he, you know, carried it on up here in Queensland and we've got him back.
1: He tried enormous leading into the shorts, didn't he? Um, That must have given you a bit of confidence that he was ready to go. I
2: I took a lot of heart, Brad, from my my vet, my stable vet here at Eagle Farm, who basically said to me, this is the type of injury, Rob, they either come back from or they don't. You know, there's no middle ground. He'll come back to full athleticism or he'll break down on you, simple as that. Um, And, you know, we're fortunate so far he's come back in good order. Now that first trial, I made sure I had him pretty fit for that because I wanted to make a statement. Yep. I wanted to show everyone that not only he's back, but he's back to somewhere near his, uh, his true ability. And of course the goal was also to you know stimulate interest in hopefully getting him back for another Everest crack. I mean, we were in the Everest last year and we had to forego that opportunity and once again, here we are, what are we, two, three and a half weeks out from yeah, the Everest. So, fingers, toes and everything else crossed.
1: Do you feel a lot of pressure as a trainer to get a horse like that back from such a bad injury?
2: Um, yes, yes and no. Because as a trainer, and particularly a trainer of a sizable stable, um, there's always pressure. Every time you have a runner, every time you go to the races, uh, there's an expectation be it the owners, be it from myself, be it from my staff, be it from punters, there's an expectation there. And when things don't go to plan, yes, that's pressure. Um, I've done it long enough now to know that you know the highs are they can be really high. I mean, I've won 11, 12 group ones, but the lows can be bloody low too. You know, you yep. could have some some really down times, but it's been able to balance it all and. You know, make it work. I mean, we learn to lose a love a lot more than we win, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely.
1: What did Timmy Clark say
2: after the run on Saturday? Tim was wrapped. Um, Tim called me. I hadn't got home by the stage. Tim called me. When I said, oh, can you just sit tight, Timmy? Call me in half an hour. I'd rather be sitting down at the table with a glass of red in my hand. And uh, Tim called me and we had a good long chat. He was absolutely delighted in the horse. He said he was out on his feet the last... 50, 80 metres, he was tired, he'd had enough, but he said he could still feel him surging to the line, even though he knew he was tired and, you know, that tough run on a soft seven after a year off. But he said, you can tell the horse is a genuine group one horse. He wanted to keep going. So, And he said, look, Rob, the, the amount of improvement one could naturally expect from a horse like that is substantial.
1: So what's the plan with him now?
2: Um... Take it easy. Uh, I'm not going to do much with him this week. Uh, I was in an hour and whether to go to the premier stakes. Tim suggested we do. He felt uh, one more run going into the Everest would be beneficial for him. So we'll do that. Uh, The vets have gone right over him. We're happy with the horse. So he'll do a little bit of light work on Saturday morning. He'll have a more substantial bit of work on Tuesday. And then we'll run in the Premier Stakes. That's 1,200 metres. And I expect a good field. I think uh, O'Shea's horse will probably run. Um, Classic Legend may even line up in the Premier. It's two weeks out from the, the Everest, so there may well be several other Everest aspirants you know, looking to perform well to maybe get picked up by a slot holder because there's still a few that don't have a horse yet.
1: It's going to shape as probably another mini-Everest, isn't it, like the Shorts?
2: I don't think it'll quite be a Shorts. Uh, I think there were six six runners, six runners, Everest runners lining up in the Shorts. It was just a shame the track played a little biased, you know, and that's yep. – I mean, the rain came. If you weren't one or two off the fence, you know, you really had no chance.
1: Are you hoping that there's obviously a, a good track for his next two runs, the, the Premier and the Everest? <laughs>
2: He's yeah. definitely a better horse on top of the ground. Yeah. I mean, the first time he got beat up here in Queensland was in the... the, the down the Gold Coast. That was a horrible yeah. track Bob. that day. It was yeah. wet and slippery, and you could see right through the race he was dipping and diving the whole way. He hated it. Still runs second. I mean, he's still... And he's won here at Eagle Farm Doom and Doomben on soft tracks, but he's not at his best on a rain-affected track.
1: And I heard you might be looking at the uh, Golden Eagle after the Everest as well.
2: Yeah, it's whether it's a bridge too far, we'll wait and see on that one. But the Everest is three runs in, four runs in, 1,500 metres, $4 million props, buddy. <laughs> I only found out this morning that um, Aidan O'Brien's not bringing out Mother Goose or Mother Hen oh, really? or Mother okay. Earth. Or...
1: That's I news. just heard it
2: this morning. A mate of mine from okay. Sydney called me and said, guess what? O'Brien's not bringing that. And it looks like a superstar yeah it's still going to be a good field i mean i know uh has gone and missed for mick but you know there's there's going to be some nice horses in there but my boy is uh he's a group one winner over 1400 meters so i don't believe the 1500 will pose too many problems i mean what will is it's going to be fourth up after a year only 1500 meters so hopefully we've got an everest trophy on our desk by then
1: that's hope. What does Saturday tell you in regards to tactics for the Everest? You know, Eduardo Nature Strip. Obviously, you go forward. Where do you want to sit in an Everest? It's pretty hard to predict a couple of weeks out, but
2: you're right. I mean, I have the advantage of a horse who's got good tactical gate speed, but I always have believed he's a better horse chasing, just sitting off them. Um, I know last year's Everest was farcical so cool because. Rachel King on Eduardo went way, way too hard, took on Nature Strip, set it up for a run on horse. It was just as simple as that. It was a crazy Everest. I don't envisage that'll happen this year. I can understand what happened in the shorts with Eduardo and Nature Strip wanting to go keen. Um, that wouldn't upset me going into the Everest, to be honest, if, they're, if they're, those two wanted to take it up. I imagine there'll be something else want to roll along, but, you know, he's... Rothfire's got good tactical speed, and we're hopefully with two runs under his belt, he's that much harder and fitter and um, race tough. And,
1: uh, yep. I'd imagine third up on a dry track, where he settled in the shorts, would be perfect in an Everest, wouldn't it?
2: Oh, 100%. 100%. And you're right, the track and the weather is going to play a big part. You know, some yep. horses clearly handle it better than others. I mean, it's a $15 million race, and I'm hoping for a genuine good four. I mean, the the Sydney weather can be fickle as we know, so fingers
1: crossed. Fingers crossed. So tell us about the Everest slot and how that came about. I know uh, James Kennedy is a businessman from Melbourne. How did that come about to to pick
2: uh, Rothfire up? Oh, James, James actually sent his vet up to me after, after his first impressive trial and and called and asked if he could could vet the horse. I said, yeah, not a problem. Not only can you vet him, I'll give him a gallop for you tomorrow at Eagle Farm and called the club here and and said, can I use the course proper? Ben Mason's here, James's uh, private vet. And well, not his private vet, but he does a lot of work for James. Um, I said, I'll gallop him for you. You can check him out, pre-race, watch the gallop, post-race scoping go right over him and Ben was quite impressed the horse worked really well under uh, under Ben Thompson uh, and I think that was enough to spike the interest of James Kennedy and then you know we it's always that interesting time isn't it you go into the shorts um, do you make your choice for a slot or do you do it after the shorts or That'd be cool Yeah. Well, you know, without giving away anything confidential, there was one or two others that were showing interest in Rothfire as well. And I actually think James was quite smart. You know, he made an offer that was accepted by us. Uh, We've come to a, come to an arrangement. There's a contract in place and uh, hopefully we get to, to share the spoils of a $15 million race.
1: Well, it's turned out to be a shrewd move because he'd be one of the favorites for the race i, I think to quote
2: james up. when he was on trek to the everest or something the other day he said the question was put to him why did you choose it he said i think there's only five or six horses can win the everest and that's before the field is determined he said and i believe roth I's one of those horses so yep. you know i think he's made a wise choice yep. at this stage anyway yeah <laughs>
1: Let's see how it all goes and hopefully the uh the rain stays away from sydney um on saturday you've got star tontes in the golden rose um you paid up the late nom to, to send her down there
2: yeah look it's <coughs> maddie one of the owners in star tontes i um, first broached the idea and i poo barred i said are you crazy 37 and a half grand to run in the group one against Animo and the congo yeah. and atorius oh my god then Alpine Edge run that big race on Saturday at Caulfield. Yeah. And She'll that's certainly, you know, spurred our interest on because I feel beat beating fair and square. Yeah. Um, he should have won the Caulfield Prelude, uh, the Guinness Prelude, I believe. If he got out, he would have done. Um, so we said, what the hell? I mean, 37.5 grand's a lot of money, but she's won that, this preparation. She's won the last four and she's won five from eight. Jolly Bonniewee thing. she's so she was probably the shortest horse in the stable she's not, there's not much of her but she's from that wonderful family that has had a big influence in my training career you know Cantantes I had her back in 1999 two years after I started training she gave uh she fold Fantantes, excelentes, and you know they went both went on and won multiple stakes races and and now see here's Fantantes you know, having Ziemba and now Star Tontes, multiple city winners, both of them. So it's just been a wonderful family for me. Yeah, wonderful family.
1: And that'd be a bit of a redemption story after Rothfire went a missed in the Golden Rose last year.
2: Yeah, it'd be a nice story, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, look, definitely. the reality is, Brad, whatever beats Animo will win. He looks yeah. like he's just got so much class. Um, whatever beats him will win. I mean, but outside of Animo, I... I know artorias has to travel up and in the congo and there's a couple of the other sydney boys there and jamia well she's been very impressive she's already a a stakes winner as well so start she only just left actually she left about one hour ago for her journey down to sydney it's it's a tried and proven method i have to travel horses go as close as you can to the race give them 48 hours to settle in and and then race them so look we certainly it is a big throw at the stumps but what the hell you never know if you don't have a go. yeah
1: definitely only one Phillies won the race i think forensics in 2008 so history a little bit against you but
2: oh but ah no, look whether the two kilos allowance for the for the for the fillies is enough against these boom three-year-old colts the stallion making race they call it and hopefully we can upset the apple cart but Look, we've got her down there if she runs us a, and I know she will. She'll run us a good, honest, genuine race and that's that goes without saying. Uh, hopefully she has no bad luck. I spoke with Reagan Bayliss this morning. Reagan's watched all the replays. He's excited to be on her. Um, we'll see what happens and who knows. I mean, we've got her down there. Flight stakes is next week. There'll be another late nomination so I don't know how deep our pockets are but <laughs> get well, she's run one three in a row, day.
1: so you've got some money in the bank, I guess.
2: Yeah. Oh, she could run in the first three or four, we might consider it.
1: Yep. Barrier 10, she'll go back anyway?
2: Oh, I, I don't think it's so much go back. It's just that she doesn't have a lot of early speed anyway. Just, just yeah. a natural racing pattern. You know, if Reagan can have two or three behind him, that that'd be great. But, you know, hopefully... She can uh, jump on the back of anime (laughs) when he turns the afterburners on and get a toe into the race.
1: And you're sending Emerald Kingdom down to Sydney as well in a couple of weeks?
2: Yeah, I mean, the big fella, he had a pretty light winter. He only had the four runs. I I missed the glass outs. The bugger stood on something on the the Sunday morning. Um, He's come back so well. I gave him a little gallop on uh, on Saturday morning and he bloody sizzled. there's not much up here, you know. When you've got a hundred-plus radar here in Queensland, they, they stick they stick the grandstand on them. Yep. Um, I lease him off a, a lovely couple, Bob and Anne Marie uh, Rushton, who from from Sydney. So I, I thought, well, let's go through the calendar and see if I can find a race for him. There's an open handicap, 1400 metres, 125k race on uh, I think it's the 23rd or something. It might be the 20th yep. of October. Called the Philante. Stakes, yeah, the week after the Everest. Yeah, we'll give it a go. You know, take him down. I think he's earned the ride. He's won eleven races up here.
1: Why not? Anything else in the stable going to Sydney or? Oh no, that's about
2: it. I mean, I was a little disappointed. Prince of Boom, he went amiss. He needed a wind operation. Uh, That would explain his his two runs because he was absolutely flying. And I had him in the Golden Rose. I thought he was going to be my Golden Rose horse, but and that's what happens. You know, sometimes this industry here with you one minute and gone the next. You know, the highs from a Group 2 win to come back and he got smashed in that race at Dooman and then subsequent to that, I, I, I feel he's he's suffered this win problem.
1: Well, you've got Star Tantes in the race, so it's not a bad replacement.
2: Yeah, no, she, well, I just know she's going to go give, give us 100% because that's just the DNA. She's tough. Yep.
1: Perfect. Rob. Um, what about the next couple of days, mate? And anything at, uh, Toowoomba for the Wheatwood or sunny coast on Friday? Oh no, minutes? pretty
2: quiet actually. Um, I've got a little filly that's had one run and one, and that was up at Caloundra called extremist. She goes, okay. I've got her in on Friday, Friday night, the, uh, three year old race up there, but I've also got her in on Sunday at Doomman. So I'm just gonna wait and see what the best barrier is and yep. have a look at the form of the race. Uh, Deep Seaver, she won really well first, or skiver Siva, yeah, I'm sure how you pronounce it, but uh, she's in at Toowoomba on Saturday. She won really well first up and she was very brave running a good third, second up. Uh, if she can cope with that tricky Toowoomba track, she, she's a definite chance on Saturday. She's probably my best chance.
1: All right, Rob, thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, fingers and toes crossed for a dry track for the Everest for Rothy and uh, hopefully you can bring the trophy back to Queensland.
2: Good on you,
0: Brad. Love to talk to you again. At Winning Edge Investments, our team of highly skilled expert analysts and full-time professional punters review the data, crunch the figures, assess the best betting opportunities, and deliver them to your phone via our app and your email inbox in real time so you profit. Go to www.winningedgeinvestments.com. Look at our membership options, Make your choice and enter the promo code podcast to receive a special 25% discount on your first membership just for listening. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T in capital letters for a 25% ongoing discount on your first membership. Treat your betting like a business and invest intelligently with Winning Edge Investments.